Welcome to The Sunday Soother, a podcast, newsletter, and community about authentic living and compassionate personal development. I'm your host, Katherine Andrews, a life coach, online teacher, and writer focused on self-reflection, mindfulness, and how to create meaning in our everyday lives in practical ways. Join me weekly for conversations about personal growth, spirituality, self-discovery, and self-care, and how we can navigate this messy world with hope and humanity. Welcome. Hello, friends, and happy Friday, and welcome to this IG Live about learning to create emotional resiliency as a highly sensitive person. I'm going to give folks just a couple minutes to join because sometimes I know the notification can be delayed. Hello, wave as you come in. I'd love to hear where you're joining from today. Um, For anybody who joins or has to drop early, I will save this to my IGTV and I will be uploading it to my Sunday Soother podcast also. So no worries if you need to jump off or if this isn't something that you're able to stick around for the whole conversation or if you're wanting to um, re-listen later, right? Because there's going to be some information packed into this today. So I am really excited to give you a little bit of insight into emotional resiliency as a highly sensitive person, because I think for those of us who identify as highly sensitive, we assume that emotional resiliency is outside of our reach and it's just not for us. And it's something that we're going to have to um, deal with our whole lives. And I want to assure you that that is not the case. You can become quite emotionally resilient, quite strong and capable, quite steady, even as a highly sensitive person who feels, who does feel big ups and downs, who does feel big um, emotions, who does have, you know, struggle with stuff like negative thinking and a highly sensitive nervous system. But I really just wanted to start out saying that, that emotional resiliency is a possibility for you, right? So to start out today, I'm just going to do a super quick overview of the two main concepts that I'll be talking about in case anybody doesn't know. And that is what even is a highly sensitive person and what is emotional resiliency? Because sometimes we think we know what a word means or a phrase means, but it's not actually something that we've stopped to define and think about. And let me just let you know, I have my notes on my computer over here. So occasionally I'll probably be glancing to the side to make sure I'm addressing all of the points. And so I'm going to also let you know, I'm going to talk for a bit about the concept of emotional resiliency. I'm going to talk about why it's difficult for highly sensitive people. I'm going to give a few tips on things you can do, and then I'm going to do a Q&A. So there's going to be lots of fun sections today. So for anybody who doesn't know, although if you follow me, I would be shocked if you had no awareness of what um, being a highly sensitive person is, because that's pretty much what I talk about all the time. It's a term coined by uh, psychologist Elaine Aaron, and according to her theory, highly sensitive people sometimes we'll say HSPs are a subset of the population, about 15 to 20% of the general population, both equally men and women. Um, And we're high in a personality trait known as sensory processing sensitivity. So those of us who are highly sensitive, we have increased emotional sensitivity, and we also have stronger reactivity to both external stimuli, lights, sounds, fabric, um, our environments, and internal stimuli right? Like our own thoughts, our own emotions, right? And this is why it can seem that emotional resiliency is like so far away from us because oftentimes 
the strong reactions to our own inner stimuli feel so overpowering. So that's kind of like the top level of what a highly sensitive person is. What's emotional resiliency? I mean, if you have the capability, I'd love to hear your definition of emotional resiliency um, in the comments. But I, I always like to look up a thing in a dictionary to make sure that we're talking about it to have a baseline understanding of a definition of a term that we're exploring further together. And emotional resiliency is defined as the ability to adapt to stressful situations and cope with life's ups and downs. Excuse me. I actually learned that the word resilience comes from the Latin resilio, <laughs> which means to bounce back. Um, and resiliency doesn't mean that life's not difficult, that life doesn't have its ups and downs, and that we don't feel those ups and downs. It's just a skill that allows us to accept what is, to better live through adversity, to better tolerate discomfort, to better start new or scary adventures and dreams, and to move on with life after setbacks and disappointments. So I also think it's important to define what resilience, emotional resiliency is not. And it's not like, just toughen up and get over it. Just suppress your feelings. Just feel nothing. Just be stoic. Just deal with it, right? That's not emotional resiliency. Emotional resiliency is not ignoring or suppressing our emotions. It's more the capacity to recover a recover in a skilled way from setbacks and disappointments. There's a sense of like elasticity to resiliency, right? I think of it as the metaphor that I've used and I've written about is that when I had no emotional resiliency, I felt like I was like a tiny boat at sea in a crashing storm of waves and anything can topple me over and I was just holding on for dear life. When I worked on cultivating emotional resiliency, what I felt more like was that I was a skilled surfer, right? The waves still come and sometimes they do knock me over and sometimes they're large and scary, but I have the ability to ride them as they come in and out. They're no longer in control of my life. I'm no longer just kind of clinging on for dear life. I have an ability to enjoy them sometimes, even the ups and downs, to observe them and to ride them. So... That's kind of what we're talking about today in terms of emotional resiliency. It's cultivating a skill that allows you to not collapse um, or totally freeze and shut down in the face of difficult experiences or difficult emotions. So hopefully that's helpful. So emotional resiliency is not at all impossible for highly sensitive people, but it can be difficult. And it's important to understand some reasons why this is difficult for us, because we can often just think that we're like, weak and lame, <laughs> and bad at this stuff. And then we go into a shame spiral about how we're not emotionally resilient and how we can kind of just collapse and struggle to deal with emotional experiences. And I want you to understand there are reasons that this is difficult, right? Like that are by nature. So the first one, if I'd love to see a bet of people who guessed the first thing I was going to say is about nervous system stuff. So the very first reason that emotional resiliency can be more difficult for us to achieve than your average bear is that we have a highly sensitive nervous system, right? Um, and having a highly sensitive nervous system, the way that I often describe it is that like, um, a person with regular sensitivity is like a cat with one set of whiskers. The, from what I understand about cats, you know, they're using those whiskers to gauge space um, and 
I don't know, other stuff that cats do. I don't own cats, but right. Those are whiskers are extremely sensitive and allow them to be moved through the world and, and figure out their space and other sensations. So like a regular person has one set of whiskers. A highly sensitive person is literally covered in whiskers. <laughs> it's a strange metaphor, but hopefully that gives you the, the difference of like why it can feel so overwhelming to be a highly sensitive person. It's just like we're super attuned to everything and our nervous systems are so sensitive to stimuli. Um, sounds can be overwhelming. Violence can be overwhelming. Emotions, the experience of emotions can be overwhelming. And emotions for us become a very physical experience. So emotional resiliency can be difficult because emotions that are negative can just, they can physically feel bad, right? Like it's that huge pit in your stomach or that huge tightness or swelling in your chest or the tension in your jaw or, you know, the pain in, in your lower stomach or in your back, all of that can be emotionally related. And so emotional resiliency can be difficult for us because it's literally a physical experience for us due to our nervous systems. Also, many of us have such sensitive nervous systems that they have become stuck in a chronic stress state. When we're stuck in a chronic stress state in our nervous systems, everything can feel like an emergency. Everything can feel like we're on hair trigger. So without regular nervous system maintenance and preventative care, anything like a little gust can come through and just blow us over or a little thing can come through like some constructive criticism at work and we can collapse into a pile of tears. Okay. So reason number one, that emotional resiliency can be difficult for us is our sensitive nervous systems. Um, reason number two, and I'm going to say three reasons, you know, this is a complex topic. It's not as simple as just three reasons, but these are three that I think are most prominent. We struggle with black and white thinking which makes it hard to view situations with flexibility and adaptation. So hit a little heart if you struggle with black and white thinking, because I know that I certainly do. Flexible thinking is something that I've had to train my brain to do more of. Um, again, it is an eminently doable skill in many ways, but it can take time and patience and growth and the ability to be with it. Um, and our natural state of being is often in black and white thinking because of a lot of different reasons and possibly our history and the way that our brains operate. But when we lack that flexibility in thinking, that can um, really make it difficult for us to become emotionally resilient because we can only see a situation like as a failure or a success, as bad or good, right? And I read somewhere, and I think I'll mention this a little bit later, that the goal in emotional resiliency is not to learn to think positively, it's to learn to think flexi flexibly, and that will serve you more. And the third reason that emotional resiliency can be hard for highly sensitive people, I believe, is that we still have deep emotional wounds or trauma, big T trauma or little t trauma from our childhoods that remains unresolved. And we're often acting out of those wounds as adults, whether we're aware of it or not. Okay. So those are some of the reasons, some of the top reasons I see that emotional resiliency is difficult for highly sensitive people. So just to be compassionate with yourself. Emotional resiliency does not come necessarily as naturally to us as it does to other people. That said, it is not at all out of our reach, right? And with some mentoring and patience and growth and compassion for ourselves and some skills, we certainly can achieve emotional resiliency. Okay, so what do we do? What do you do if you're like knowing that you're 
not emotionally resilient or not as emotionally resilient as you'd want to be. And if you're wondering, let me give you an example um, of what it used to look like for me when I was not emotionally resilient. Um, one time I got some constructive criticism from my from a boss at work and I went home and cried. And the, it was like the kindest feedback I ever could have gotten. <laughs> and it was also true, right? But it was like such an emotional collapse for me that I like was totally totally hurt and blindsided by it. Emotional, uh, a lack of emotional resilience for me also looked like self-sabotaging on my goals constantly because I couldn't be with the toleration of the discomfort of going after things that were new to me or that I wasn't sure that I would totally succeed at, right? So when imposter syndrome would come up, I think actually a really interesting link is between imposter syndrome and self-doubt and emotional resiliency. And one of the side benefits of increasing your emotional resiliency is that you you don't rid yourself of self-doubt and imposter syndrome, but you learn to be with it more effectively and keep going after your, your goals and your dreams and your achievements without succumbing to the self-sabotage that can often come along with imposter syndrome and self-doubt. Um, but for me, when I was lacking emotional resiliency, it was like impossible to do things like start my business because I was like, I would just freeze and collapse at the thought of beginning, right? Um, it was hard for me to stick to goals or things that I knew were important to me. I couldn't tolerate the discomfort of that. And so I would often self-sabotage. So that's a couple of the grounded examples of what a lack of emotional resiliency looked like in my life. So what do we do, right? So maybe you're like, okay, yeah, I'm not that emotionally resilient right now. Um, or I, I've started to become a little bit more and I want to increase this. I think self-care and preventative nervous system care is your number one strategy for better emotional resiliency. Since we're talking about emotions, many of us still have a framework for approaching emotions that I think is misguided, thinking of emotions as um, thought or mental experiences, but emotions arise and live in our bodies and our nervous system. So the number one strategy for me is taking care of my body and taking care of my nervous system. Our body and our nervous systems are the containers through which emotions are held and processed and then eventually released. So if we're increasing our tolerance for discomfort via settling our nervous system, getting it out of fight or flight or the chronic stress state, grounding ourselves more often, our container becomes more stable, right? Um, our container becomes more able to tolerate the physical discomfort of negative emotions. And this increases our ability to be more emotionally resilient. Number two, I would work as you would going to a gym and like doing a number of pull-ups, like say, you know how you would approach that, right? You would go to the gym four times a week and like do a pull-up or two every day or whatever until you were doing more pull-ups. I would do that, but I would do it for flexible thinking. Research shows that flexible thinking is more important than positive thinking when it comes to resiliency. So anytime, you know, I hear the word stuck a lot. Anytime you're like, I'm stuck, I just don't know what to do, what to do. I would posit that there is a lack of flexible thinking going on and you are stuck in black and white thinking. So what I challenge you to do anytime you're feeling stuck or that you think a situation is either or, brainstorm 20 ways that there could be an in-between for the situation. Okay. I often see this with women who are coaching with me, who are thinking about leaving their jobs and starting their own businesses. They think they have to quit their job and burn the bridge and then go be like making zero money doing the thing they love. There's like literally no in between. 
And I often give them the assignment of go tell me 20 ways this could work out that aren't quitting your job and burning that bridge or starting your job and making zero money. There's so many in-betweens, right? Like you could freelance, you could ask your job if you can continue on contract, you could do any number of things, right? You could take a part-time job while you work on building your business, like, but they only see one or the other. So I, I would love to offer you and assign you the practice of brainstorming 20 different ways to look at a situation that you feel stuck in and practice that on a regular basis, like going to the brain gym, and that'll help increase your brain's ability to begin to think more resiliently and flexibly overall. And finally, I would offer up the work of inner child work and shadow work. So um, inner child work is like both of these are kind of related, but they're kind of different terms. So I'm not going to go too deeply into them in my mastermind soothe for sensitive women, which um, begins in September and I'm enrolling. Now we're going to spend a month on inner child work and a month on shadow work, shadow work, our shadow is the rejected, wounded, unattended and suppressed parts of ourselves. Um, And our inner child, our, our inner children is the part of us that's still wounded from childhood. And both of these are kind of like, deep wounds that still exist within us. And we've sort of tried to deal with them by just being like, shh, shh, go away. Oh my God, get out of here. I don't like you go. What we need to do for those inner children and those shadows of ourselves is bring them into the light and look at them with compassion and acceptance so we can integrate them. Because when we have um, shadow wounds and inner child wounds, as adults, emotionally, a lot of the time we're actually operating from those wounded places, whether or not whether or not we're aware of it. So if you collapse frequently emotionally, or if you get really incredibly triggered, excuse me, a lot, you can be sure there is some sort of unhealed emotional wound that is flinching every time it gets touched. So that's something, you know, there's a lot of great resources out there for shadow work and inner child work. Um, the first shadow book, shadow work book I ever read was by Debbie Ford. It's called Dark Side of the Light Chasers. And the inner child book that I recommend frequently is Healing Your Lost Inner Child by Robert Jackman. So those are two good places to start. Of course, we will be doing like this work very deeply in Soothe as well. Okay. So I want to, I'm going to go into Q&A, but I also want to kind of settle um use a metaphor here to like possibly ground the idea of emotional resiliency for you all and you guys know that i use nature a lot i love flowers i love trees i'm outside all the time and when we're lacking emotional resiliency what often ends up happening is we're like a tree that's become unrooted and is leaning on another tree for strength And we think that's a natural coping mechanism. That's what we should do. This other tree should be able to support us. And maybe our branches are getting really entwined. And this other tree is beginning to also collapse underneath the weight of supporting us because our roots are so untethered. So the strategy with emotional resiliency is not to rely on those around us to support us through our collapse. It's actually to tend to our own roots and turn inwards through self-care, through inner child work, through nervous system care, through grounding practices, um, through deeply knowing ourselves and being with ourselves and strengthen our root system. And in this way, we create emotional resiliency by moving away from the codependency of leaning on that other tree and moving 
to interdependency. So it's not that with emotional resiliency, you never rely on anybody else. You never need other people. You know, I read, if anybody's read the overstory or reads about trees like a nerd like I do, (laughs) there's so much research out there that is like telling us about the incredible root system of old growth forests and forests in general with trees. So these trees are standing strong and rooted and individually in their groups and in their forests, and they're thriving each on their own. But they're inter they're still interdependent. They their root systems are often communicating with each other, sharing nutrients with one another, um, sending warnings to other trees about uh, threats or soil conditions or weather conditions. So the trees focus on their roots, and they are not relying on the other trees to hold up their support or hold up their emotions or hold up their trunks or their branches. But they're still interdependent. So. When you cultivate emotional resiliency, you move away from being codependent, relying on other people's emotions to hold you up, and you move towards interdependency, which is a beautiful state of being in relation to other people, but as your whole self. So I just really wanted to state emotional resiliency is not about like not needing other human beings and never like being emotional around other people too, because we are humans and we are wired for that. Okay, so... I'm going to do a few Q&As, and if you have more questions, you are welcome to put them in the comment box. I loved this question. Thank you, whoever submitted it, because it's a really good one. How do I make working on emotional resiliency not just another to-do kind of checklist or a thing I turn into productivity? Great question. So many of us can turn personal growth, self-care stuff into a weapon that we use against ourselves, right? Like, if any of you out there have been like, caught and stressed out self-care, you kind of know what that can look like, right? And I think it's a really great question to consider, could becoming emotionally resilient just turn into another thing that I'm like really striving towards and like then beating myself up towards um, for, for not doing, right? Or not doing right. So with whether it's self-care or whether it's your efforts to improve your emotional resiliency, everything every time I ask a client to do is check the energy behind the action, okay? If it feels soft and nourishing and helpful, whatever you're doing is great for you. But if it feels tight and punishing and frantic, so say you're like I'm going to I'm going to become more I'm going to do flexible thinking like Catherine said every day I'm going to write 20 things down and it's got like that kind of like energy to it then you might be using it as a weapon against yourself. And in that moment, I ask you to just observe and notice that and then ask yourself the question, okay, I am in like tight energy around this, which means I might be using this as a weapon against myself. Then ask yourself, how can I make this 10% more gentle and simpler? Where can I loosen? Okay. And continue to observe and ask, observe and ask. That's a great question to ask yourself throughout the day. Where can I make this 10% easier for myself generally? Um, And then just continue to notice that energy. If it feels like really tight and constraining and restrictive, then you can know that you've moved into trying to increase your emotional resiliency as kind of like this like fixer productive vibe. I hope that makes sense. That was a great question. Um, How can I better regulate my emotions? Well, I hope the things I've said above have helped a little bit. Um, I would also offer the strategy of becoming the observer of your emotions. So anytime, most of the time, we're just 
like all these emotions are coming in and out and they're running through us and we just like generally have no conscious awareness. I would invite you to practice like once a day to say something like, I notice that I am experiencing the feeling of. So this is good. One, it cultivates this practice of becoming the observer and the watcher of your emotions. Two, by saying, I am noticing that I am experiencing the feeling of, we separate and disidentify ourselves from the emotion, right? Not, I am sad. I'm experiencing the feeling of sadness, right? And kind of delinking that emotion from our identity can be really helpful in order to better regulate it because it just, it takes it out of here and just puts it over here to the side a little bit so we can look at it with a little more um, awareness and compassion. How can I better deal with change as an as a highly sensitive person? Great question. Change for highly sensitive people is difficult. So that's the first step, except that it's extremely difficult for us. <laughs> so much of where we're experiencing um, struggle in our lives is when we're resisting a reality. Change is just... I mean, if it's if it feels good to you and you're a highly sensitive person, just run with that. But the reality is that change feels pretty bad for most highly sensitive people. And that's going to kind of be a reality for us. So acceptance is not agreement. I don't love that change is hard for me. I still sometimes wish I were better at change, but now I know that generally change will be extremely difficult for me. And I have also accepted it's an inevitable part of life. So I would, um, anytime you are aware that change is coming, I would create a change plan and list all the things that are within your control and all the things that are without and all the ways you can nourish yourself throughout the period of change. And then I would even just create that and like have it handy because of course a lot of change we don't know is happening and we aren't prepared for. But if you have like a change plan that you know can help you care for yourself and nourish yourself throughout change, then you can at least bring it to the side when like change might blindside you a little bit. The next question, I get easily disturbed by aggression and even violence in films. How can I shield myself from this? Yes, if you're a highly sensitive person, violence is um, extremely difficult for us, even if it's like fake violence in a movie or a TV show. I really consider, I would have you consider like not watching violent TV shows or movies or films, which I know feels like a nigh impossibility given the state of like what is media today. But you really have to consider, like, would you subject, like, a five-year-old to this movie? Then I might not subject yourself to it. And if it's a movie you really badly want to see, doing a lot of nervous system care beforehand and afterwards and bringing earplugs and maybe an eye mask or being totally okay covering your eyes during the extremely violent parts... um, it's, it's one of these things like, I think we want to just toughen up for violence. And so remember that emotional resiliency is not about toughening up, but you can use strategies in the moment to help you if a violent um, or aggressive movie or film is something is one you really do want to see. But I also, I really like invite you to consider that you don't have to watch those kinds of movies. I'm in the throes of this right now. My boyfriend and I have been watching Game of Thrones because we're like the last two people to have like never seen that TV show. And we're three seasons in and I'm like, I don't know that I can watch this show anymore. Like it is really bad, right? And we're watching it before bed and I'm like, this is 
really bad for me. And so this is what like setting a boundary looks like. Like, I don't really want to tell my boyfriend that I don't want to watch Game of Thrones anymore because he's really enjoying it. And, you know, what if he's going to think I'm like so sensitive and weird, but the violence and aggression, like sexual brutality in that show is so disturbing to me that I'm thinking about setting that boundary. So you're not alone in that, my friend. But remember, you don't have to toughen up or shield yourself. You can give yourself the permission of not watching those kinds of movies, or you can put in strategies like earplugs, eye masks, and a lot of self-care before and after if there is a film that does have violence in it that you do wish to see. Or leave the theater or leave the room in the times of extreme violence too. Um, I love this question. Just a couple more. Um, what does confidence look like in a highly sensitive person? I think this is a great question because I think we all know what, like, when we struggle with self-doubt and a lack of emotional resiliency, and we're quite aware of what that looks like. And then we never stop to ask ourselves, like, could a highly sensitive person be confident, right? And what might that even look like? So I would just offer it would look as, as many different ways as confidence looks like in anybody else, right? A lot of highly sensitive people are actually extroverted. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily, you know, the classic, I think, stereotype of highly sensitive person is like super introverted and quiet and maybe shy. But a lot of highly sensitive people are pretty extroverted and pretty confident in a lot of ways. Um, so I can speak to like when I'm, and I'm not, I don't feel confident 100% of the time. But when I am feeling confident as a highly sensitive person, what it looks like for me, um, it looks like being gently grounded and feeling settled in my body. Sometimes when I'm not confident, there's surges of electricity and like a twitchiness and a sense of restlessness in my body. When I am confident, I feel centered. I feel authentic is kind of the best way I can put it, sort of a catch-all term. But for me, I don't worry about the things I say. I'm not self-monitoring. Um, I'm not in my head wondering, oh my God, did I just say the wrong thing? Mm, should I have done it this way? Um, I generally have a steady speaking voice. Um, I am able to set boundaries neutrally, meaning that I don't feel guilty for setting a boundary. It's just something that I understand is like important to me in that moment. Um, so hopefully those gives you some ideas, you know, and what I would offer you all is like to even just journal on like what the most confident version of yourself looks like. I also think in society today, we have um, linked confidence and kind of like aggressive narcissism, right? Like, and confidence can just be this like really beautiful thing. And then you have like this aggressive narcissistic idea of confidence, which is like a blowhard blathering forever, totally oblivious to everything around them. Um, and that's not confidence to me. I mean, confidence is authenticity and groundedness to me. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, are highly sensitive people more likely to struggle with anxiety or depression? And if so, how is treatment different? So I must always make the disclaimer, I am not a medical professional or a therapist. So this is my experience and not diagnostic or advice in that realm. But um, from my reading and my own research and my own experience, yes, highly sensitive people do struggle more frequently with depression and anxiety. Um, and the roots of it can be different for us. It may not always be because of a chemical imbalance or um, other physiological thing. The, the depression can stem from burnout, um, from trying to be ways that we're not. 
And our anxiety can stem from a nervous system stuck in chronic stress or fight or flight. Um, so those are things to bring to your therapist. A lot of people, when they gain awareness that they're highly sensitive, that's information that you can bring to, um, a therapist or a psychiatrist, and they will have lots more information for you about how you might want to proceed with treatment or therapies for you, for yourself. And I saw somebody else ask up here, um, what kind of therapy benefits HSP? So again, just my opinion and my own anecdotal experience, not diagnostic or professional medical advice. Um, I think cognitive behavioral therapy can be useful for HSPs um, and somatic experiencing therapy. Um, anything from internal family systems to focusing to um, being with somebody who's trained in polyvagal theory and can help you be um, learn to be with uh, parts of yourself so that they feel safer. CBT, in my personal opinion, is effective for HSPs because our brains are wired to be problem-solving machines. Um, and when they don't have a problem to solve, like it turns inwards, right? <laughs> and so that critic is going, the worry brain is going, um, and like the scanning externally, which is something we're really good at for threats or problems, turns against ourselves. And so CBT can help you regain control of some of those thoughts and question their validity and redirect those thoughts. Somatic experiencing, we have many HSPs out of coping mechanisms and survival modes have often become quite disconnected from our bodies. So any kind of therapy that includes a somatic um, component to it can help you really get in touch with the emotions that are still living in your body and sort of help you with a wholeness and an integration um, that can help you feel just more steady as a person. So in my opinion, those kinds of therapies can be really powerful. Um, a great question to take to your therapist. Um, I, I would say HSPs often also struggle with ADHD. Um, so that may be something to bring into your awareness too, if that's something that you're you're realizing may be an issue for you. So, okay, my friends, I think that's it. I have answered all of the questions that came through. I hope this was helpful to you. I am going to upload it right now to my HGTV as well as to my Sunday Soother podcast. And if this resonated with you and you're ready to do this kind of work of building emotional resiliency so you can go after an authentic life for you, check out Soothe, which is my mastermind for highly sensitive women. It is enrolling right now, and we begin in September. In, we have about 12 spots left. It's going to be a healing group community with me as your guide as we work month by month through common blocks for sensitive women to increase their emotional resiliency so they can live unapologetically and authentically. So... I'm sending much love to you all. I hope you have a beautiful weekend and please follow up in the DMs or on any of my posts in the comments with questions. I would be more than happy to talk to you. Take care. That's it for this week's Sunday Soother. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have a moment, go on over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. That's how other people find this podcast and the message of hope and compassionate personal growth I'm hoping to spread to many more people just like you. You can find me on Instagram at Katherine Andrews and find out more about The Sunday Soother at thesundaysoother.com. You can also check out my services, courses, and coaching at katherinedandrews.com. Have a great day ahead.